Hello, Mississippi and abroad. This is Parrish Alford with the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal welcoming you to another edition of Justify Your Existence, where we bring you the relevant college football talk in Mississippi and the SEC. Going to be joined in a moment by Terry Bowden, now the coach at Louisiana Monroe, my alma mater there for full disclosure. Going to hit some different topics with Coach Bowden. Before we get there, we'd like to thank our partners at the Oxford Park Commission. Lots of good things going on at OPC, offerings for youth and adults alike. They're gearing up for fall flag football right now, and registration is also ongoing for ready golf and instructional time for youth ages 8 to 13. There's also boxing, fencing, hiking, and so much more. Visit them at OxfordParkCommission.com. We'd like to welcome in uh, Coach Terry Bowden. Coach, how are you? Doing fine, thank you. Hey, thanks so much for coming on there. Uh, I know that uh, you, you've been at uh, at Auburn and, and more recently North Alabama and Akron, uh, you know, formerly of those places, forever the son of uh, longtime Florida State coach Bobby Bowden. Uh, I was saddened to uh, hear of your dad's uh, earthly passing recently, but honestly, I was encouraged by the peace that, uh, that he felt uh, there at the end and uh, his comments uh, there at the end. So, uh, you know, I, I know that's uh, been a, a difficult time for you. Uh, how, how are things going? Well, I mean, they're going good. I mean, obviously um, you hate to lose your father, but you're going to lose him. Um, and uh, he had gotten pancreatic cancer and uh, that can be bad. That can be tough, long and hard. But with him at 91 years old, uh, he died peacefully in his sleep. Uh, he passed with my mother right beside him and the six of his, his, his all of his six children in the room with him. And, and so, um, it took it, it he, he, um, it wasn't a painful death. It was the sadness of missing him, but he knows where he is. He's a very, uh, spiritual person. He has a strong faith and he knows exactly where he is. Well, tell me now, uh, what do you think, uh, were some of his greatest accomplishments, mm-hmm. but also some of his biggest wins? Cause I think those two might not be the same thing. Well, I think one of the greatest accomplishments is uh, what he's what he did at Florida State to show many other uh, coaches how they can build a program. And I've used it this with with ULM. I've used that example this year that he took over a team that had won uh, two wins, then one and ten, then zero and eleven, three wins in the previous three years, and in the second season was at a ten win season in a bowl game, uh, and had winning seasons every year after that, and changed an entire football program as well as an entire university and a community. Uh, whether, you know, as I look at ULM, that, that's kind of what we'd like to do. I don't know that we can, but there's a shining example. But I think as you heard many, many uh, coaches and players eulogize him and talk about him, uh, it was off the field, though, that he made a big impact. The amount of the, the spiritual impression he made on them of his faithfulness and encouraging them to seek their spiritual side of their life. I think almost all the things that were said about him most of the things that happened great were uh, off the field in relation to players. And I, I don't, after 34 years at Florida State, and I played for him at West Virginia, and he was a receiver coach at Florida State back in the 60s when he coached Fred Blitnikoff, was his wide receiver. It, it goes way back, and he had way too many games, big wins, I think, for me to pick out one particular win that kind of defined his, his career. Now, uh, you spent some time at Auburn there, had a successful mm-hmm. run at uh, 47 and 17, uh, your brother Tommy at Clemson. Uh, what kind of expectations did that create for you guys to go into those positions with uh, with your name? 
Well, I mean, naturally, uh, uh, when you when you you love your father and you want to emulate him and you'd like to to be like your father, you know, he was always been a football coach. When I was born, uh, nineteen fifty six, he was already a college football coach. And so, as we all, my brothers and I, all but Steve, uh, me, Tommy, and Jeff, as we got older, there was only one thing we wanted to do. We wanted to do what Dad did. We wanted to do what that's that's a profession that we loved. And uh, and you got to remember, in this day and age of firings and, and all the things that go on, he came out in, at a time where you go to a place and you stay there as long as you can, uh, and maybe you don't get fired so much. You don't make the money they're making now, but you also uh, uh, have a chance for longevity. So I think the thing that he uh, we all we all wanted to emulate him because he loved it so much, and yet yet knew how to prioritize and not make football the center of his life. What do you think your dad would have said about Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC? Uh, and if I if I have this correct, I was there uh, in, at SEC Media Days in Hoover. That came out on the same day. I mean, the the news mm-hmm. of your dad's passing and uh, and Texas and Oklahoma uh, their interest mm-hmm. in the SEC kind of uh, broke at the same time. What what would he have had to say about that? Nothing. That's that's just the that's just the direction of today's game. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have thought a big deal out of it. Now you got to remember. My father became a head coach in 1955. He was he was there when there was no conferences set up like they are today. Uh, he's been part of a conference of teams. And when he was Division One at West Virginia, so was Davidson, Citadel, East East Carolina. Um, those teams were were in the uh, uh, university division as well. So you know he's he's been through uh, university and college division, Division One, Division One AA, Division Two. He's seen the conferences grow and then not grow. He spent many years at Florida State as an independent because he had no conference he could go to. So this is just what's going on right now. Uh, everybody will adapt. Everybody will adjust. And if you have enough history in you, and I have a lot myself going back to 80, 1983 when I became a head coach in college, these are just directions that change in college football. I don't think they're necessarily the defining moment of the history of college football. Maybe they will be. Uh, maybe there'll be a whole new division of teams. Maybe there'll be conferences that take over. But I think if you really, really have coached in different decades, and I, this is my fifth decade coaching college football, and my dad went through seven, you're going to see changes like this. And at the end of the day, uh, you still line up 11 people versus 11 people, and a whole bunch of people want to see it. Uh, one of the talking points recently I, I heard mm-hmm. from my SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey was about uh, – a desire for increased autonomy in the power fives. And, and one of the things uh, he mentioned was uh, all of the current FBS schools uh, uh, putting everybody in the same room in an NCAA meeting and, and being told to uh, make good decisions for student athletes. Uh, his point being the needs are, are so different and resources are different and things like that. Uh, uh, in, in your estimation, has it gotten that big? Is it just too hard for all of the current uh, FBS schools to to be ruled uh, under the same uh, in the same ways? No, it's not. It's not. No, uh, you know, we and basically, it's, it's not one group of FBS schools. It's basically Power Five and Group of Five. There's two sets of uh, 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 realistically two different levels at the same level. But you know what? It, it can change. It might change. Uh, if you put everybody together there, there would still be huge differences between the, the 10 or 15, 20 teams at the very top and those are at the bottom. Um, and so I, 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 they, could, we could, they could put all the FBS schools together, and, but I still think you might as well leave half of them out because we're not going to have a whole lot of say uh, as re, in regard to what the money teams do. The big, the big boys talk, uh, and we just got to play the cards that are dealt to us. 
but but I really don't think I don't think uh, at the end of the day, at least at least this year and the next few years, it'll be conceivably different. And I'm not so sure. I think the thing that caught the, that group of five schools worry about is being able to grab that one or two games a year against a, the the uh, power five teams. We play LSU and Kentucky, and they both play over about a million and a half each. Three three billion dollars will pay our complete football budget, and probably two or three other sports at our school. So that's the one thing I think about as having been a head coach for 25 years at Division three, two, one double A, one group of five, and one power five. I've been a head coach in every area. Uh, everything kind of trickle down effect. And so the biggest thing concerning me at the group of five, if they were to form some superpower conferences and they did not include in their scheduling some of these schools that will not be part of that, it is a revenue source. Because they're, they're doing it to increase their revenues. It's all about money. And they're going to make more money. But can we somehow do a great thing? We play LSU. That's a way for one of our state universities to shift money down to another state university by playing a football game. That's the way it's, that's the way it's perceived by the group of five. Now, I would like to see them get the uh, playoff teams expanded. 12 would be fine. I figured eight would be the next step uh, when I was figuring it, but 12 would be even better. But I think if you do that, most likely the power fives will, all, will still control what they want to control. But to give the group of fives a chance to have one team make it to that playoff group, uh, and sometimes two, uh, then every locker room before the game, when you say, let's go win them all, let's go play for a championship – it's not just it's not just wishful thinking. It's not just a dream or a fantasy. There's this actual perception that we all uh, can can I play for the championship. Very much like that movie Hoosiers. You're old enough to remember that old movie where everybody has a shot, no matter how how small the school is. Uh, what do you make of uh, the alliance that's in the news now? That the uh, ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big Ten getting together without signed contracts. Mm-hmm. But uh, in in verbal commitments, so to speak, we don't see the verbal commitments uh, lasting a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the biggest thing is that, that that's a reaction to the SEC. Uh, SEC is putting together a group of teams that is going to demand a huge amount of money uh, from television. And that's what they're fighting right now is each group wants to make sure they've got the kind of income level they want, but also the, the amount of autonomy they want so they control those schedules. They control how they're recruiting. They control how they uh, are are guarded or watched. And and uh, But the biggest bottom line, I think, is, is dollars and cents. The SEC wants to put together enough markets to make it a huge, successful financial situation for everybody in the SEC. And so quite naturally, the ACC and the, the remaining Big 12 teams and Big 10 and Pac-10, you've got to think, well, okay, or can we let's, let's make sure we can cover and protect ourselves with big money dollars. And when your non-conference games uh, will be uh, a UCLA instead of Moorhead State, you know, I mean, they're, they're, the fans can't complain. You know, again, I do like having coached at every level. I like the trickle-down effect, the fact that uh, we can have games that, that bring us some prestige, uh, but more importantly, bring dollars to the smaller uh, group of five-level coaches, playing programs. Now, I believe you spent some time with the Clemson staff between Akron and Monroe. Is that right? Yeah, I spent two years as an analyst there. Uh-huh. Two, two years there. Just uh, wh- why was that a good move for you? What did you take from that? Well, guys, you know, it's kind of – if you want to coach again, I mean, that's the way you do it nowadays. If, if you're a head coach and a new AD comes in and buys out your contract, which, which mine did, I, I wouldn't really get out of coaching. But I needed to be around some people and be I need to be still in the hunt. And so with a, with your salary paid, you can go be an analyst. If you've seen Alabama, they do it every year. And those coaches have all gone on at Texas, at, at Florida Atlantic, and 
at Ole Miss, you know, there's these guys have utilized that opportunity. I did the same thing at Clemson. I went down there with two years left on a, on a paid contract to serve as an analyst uh, there. But what I wasn't really analyzing, I was analyzing the head coach, how he ran his program. I was analyzing the players, how they put together their schedules, how they did, did their daily routines. And although I've been a head coach 25 years myself, I still want to see how the best teams in the, in the country are doing it today. And so it gave me a chance, one, just to go back and, and reaffirm some of the beliefs that I've had and watch for new things that are going on. But maybe most importantly, is to stay in the hunt. When you're a, an analyst at Clemson, that carries a little bit of weight. And, and, and it carried weight, I'm sure, in my, in my hiring from ULM because of the number of support staff I was able to bring from Clemson, young coaches that I recognized that would be maybe too expensive for us down the road. Uh, but I recognized there's certain talents that I could bring into my staff and have an excellent staff. Now, uh, your staff also includes uh, Rich Rodriguez, who I got mm -hmm. to know a little bit in 2019 at, at Ole Miss. How did you guys mm -hmm. connect? Well, we've known for a long time. We've known each other since he, I went to West Virginia and graduated in 78. He probably graduated four years later. He followed me at Salem College. Uh, when my brother got the head job at Tulane, uh, Rich Rodriguez went with him as his optic coordinator. When he got the, the, the job at Clemson, he went with him there as a coordinator, then went on to West Virginia uh, and Michigan, Arizona. The, and then I've known, so I've known him all my life. And he worked our Bowden football camp, quarterback camp for about 15 years. Him and Jimbo Fisher, who also played for me, uh, they worked our camp when they were young. And so uh, when, when his son, when Rhett Rodriguez jumped in the, in the portal from Arizona, I needed a veteran quarterback. He was the perfect quarterback for me. And when I called Rhett just to say, would you, would you be consider coming to ULM? He said, yeah, coach, I'll consider it. Then I asked, then I said, well, do you have an offensive coordinator you can bring with you? And so that kind of got the ball rolling. It kind of got the thought process going. And I, you know, Tommy and Jeff and I all played for our father. It was a special time. In fact, 1979, we were all on the FSU team that went 11 and 0 and lost in the orange bowl, but we all were together. And I, and I think in, in, in trying to, to make the offer to Rich, it wasn't about finances. It was about a chance to coach his son for a couple of years and be a part of that experience. And so his son worked his way up to number one quarterback. And right now, that's a relationship that I'm glad I have. But that was what brought him to ULM. There wasn't enough money in the purse. There wasn't enough uh, opportunity for him. But I, I suspect uh, that he'll be a power five coach again real soon because he, he's got what it takes to run the show. Well, I'll tell you, Coach, I understand the challenge ahead of you in rebuilding there at ULM, and I'll be very patient and, and uh, pledge not to be angry until mid-October. <laughs> now, just tell me a little bit uh, uh, about your system without giving it all away, the things you'd like to implement in Monroe. Is this going to be a mix of uh, Terry Bowden from Auburn and with a little bit of Clemson and Rich Rodriguez splashed in? I mean, what, 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 yeah. uh, what will we see? Well, I mean, the thing, the thing that makes it uh, interesting uh, that we were, we're able to put together the fact that I've been a play calling head coach for 25 years and Rich Rodriguez has been a play calling head coach for 24 years. And so I went to Clemson with the idea of looking and, and studying and knowing their offense top to bottom. I figured I'd be calling the plays. I'd be running it like I've always done. Uh, and so I had everything I, and I hired coaches that can run that system. Uh, and then when Rich came along, I said, you know, we can't have two coordinators. I've got to have, I've got to have the maturity uh, and the, and the uh, good, good sense to let him run the offense. Now in the off season, we did put a lot of Clemson stuff in. We combined it in the off season, what I liked and what he liked. 
And I think we've put together something with Clemson and his history and what he's done. We put it together for a really nice, a diverse package uh, that gets the best of both worlds. And so that was what we did there uh, on offense. And, and, and then, and then during the game, I mean, I made I, my suggestions to Rich will come on Monday or Tuesday night. It isn't going to come on Saturday afternoon too much. Now I may stick my head in there and say, Hey, time for the reverse or time for the deep ball, or let's go for it on fourth and one. I'll make all big critical calls. And when it comes to whether to punt or to go for it, and those kind of things, but you don't want two chess players playing the same game of chess. You cannot think two and three plays ahead, uh, taking turns each time calling the chess moves. So it's very much like that in football. You've got to let one guy's thought process go through. And then when there's a change of a change of uh, the ball or change of possession, you can you can get some ideas in. But I've done this for 25 years. But even when I was a GA at Florida State for four years, if you'll remember back in the early 80s, my dad was probably the considered the best game day play caller in the business. So I got to learn a little bit about how that works and how that worked with him turning plays over to other people as he got older and how that transition worked. So, you know, he had turned over to Brad Scott, then he had turned over to Mark Rick and he had to work with them. So I've seen the transition and I've even begun to, and I've done that transition here, but the style of play, you, you're going, you're going to see as much Clemson offense as you do anything else. Folks, that'll wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence, where we bring you the relevant college football talk in Mississippi. Thank you to Terry Bowden for being with us today. I'm Parrish Alford. Come back and join us next week.